Um, I'm adopted. Yeah. I, I do want to do a TED Talk about it. I mean, when you get to wheel out your adopted material, when you say, let's just consider ourselves special, and uh, when you say adoption to like civilians, they're like, oh. <laughs> what did I do? Oh I'm just a cute baby trying to find somewhere to live. Harry's <laughs> like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, what, you're an orphan. You learn to sing and dance. You've seen the movie. Um, I, <laughs> I love it. I just, I have like dual, dual lives. I, I, I have a friend who's not adopted. Sorry about that, weirdo. <laughs> I was like, let me get this straight. You grew inside your mother. <laughs> and you came out, and you were hungry, and you ate her boob. And now you both just act like that didn't happen. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Missing Pieces. MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson. That was the very talented Laura House, professional comedian, television writer, and host of the podcast called Tiny Victories. It's a 15-minute-per-episode hilarious podcast celebrating the tiny victories in life. Laura performed that comedy at a special one-night adoption stand-up night put together by the very funny Brian McDaniel. I'll put a link to his Instagram in the show notes. And if you hadn't guessed it yet, she's adopted. She's not an NPE, which stands for Not Parent Expected, but I'm calling this episode Not Brother Expected, NBE. This is season three, episode one. I have no idea what I'm doing with the numbering of the podcast. I kind of just made it up as I went along. But I just read an article this morning that said your podcast will do better in SEO if you do not have episode numbers. And the title. SEO is search engine optimization. Something two of my sisters, Rochelle and Stephanie, are obsessed with. So who knows, maybe I'll drop the numbers altogether. But I doubt it. And I did not go to New Zealand. That job got canceled. Show business is a cruel mistress. And speaking of me being in the business, (laughs) I was one of the producers and editors of a documentary called Brothers in Arms. It's about the actor's experience in the movie Platoon. It's a great doc. We interviewed the many, many stars of the film. Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe, Tom Berger, Johnny Depp. The list goes on and on. The movie is called Brothers in Arms. And you can find it on Amazon or other places as well. Check it out. There are a few movies with the same title, so when searching, just put in Brothers in Arms, Johnny Depp, and you'll find it. Each time someone watches it, I get like 13 cents. So please, spread the word. Now back to Laura House, the comedian, and her story here on Missing Pieces. My name is Laura House, and I live in Los Angeles, in the Valley, if that's important. I just want to say that Laura is a great comedian. She... I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when we did a fundraiser for this friend of mine, that friend of ours that had ALS and Laura was one of the comics with some pretty big name comics, I think. 
Lonzo and Rich. And and I had people, my family from the Midwest, texting me just saying, oh, my God, Laura is the funniest person ever. You like you totally stole the show that night. You oh, wow. like soared. That's so flattering. Thank you. Your friend is beautiful. And uh, I was glad to do it. I appreciate that. And um, no, I didn't know that. That that feels good. That's nice. I do. I love I'm obsessed with comedy. I that's I, I love it. So that's really nice. So I grew up in a suburb of Dallas in Grand Prairie, Texas, and um, pretty average white middle class family. My mom was a teacher. My dad worked for City Hall. I have a brother. So it was like two parents, two kids. We made good grades, pretty (laughs) regular middle class, you know, good you know, good life provided for. And I always knew I was adopted. My parents, I was born in, I hate to say this, but I was born in 1970. <laughs> so it was closed records adoption. But my parents were always like, you were adopted. My mom would say, I I couldn't love you more I if you had come out of me. Or <laughs> there was a, we had special baby books that were for the adopted child. And so as a, you know, eight-year-old or so, I understood that there are ladies in the world that have babies. And I just kind of equated it with farming of like, there's farmers that grow vegetables and we eat salad. You know, there's people out there that make furniture and we have a sofa. So I just, so there's people out there that make babies and some people have to go, go buy those. (laughs) It was a little handmaid's tale, to be honest, but I, (laughs) I, in, in retrospect, I mean, in my mind, they enjoyed or not enjoyed their job as much as anyone as anyone would. So not only was Laura adopted, so was her brother she grew up with. So based on the limited information, Laura thought everyone was adopted. So when I was 10, I there was a woman down the street, a, a neighbor was breastfeeding. And I think I started asking questions like because I was like, oh, she must be one of those ladies that has babies for people. <laughs> and I was like, oh, when... When do they go to their real family? And what do you mean you're going to keep it? And what do you? And she was like, I think you need to talk to your mom. And so as sort of at 10 years old, I learned, I didn't learn I was adopted. I learned not everyone is adopted. And I think then I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So like kind of, oh, just me. Oh, it's not that common. Just me and my brother sort of. And I, I never... I'm a creative person. I'm a TV writer. I'm a, so I don't know if that's part of my interest. You know, there are people who are not TV writers that certainly wonder about their biological family, but I just from 10 years old was like, I came out of some lady who's walking around. Who is she? Like, do I know her? Is she a teacher at my school? Do we cross paths? Like, in some kind of movie, but we don't know. Would we know if we ran into each other at the grocery store? Would we, <gasps> it's you, you know, is there, who am I tethered to in, in this way? And then I was, is it Sally Field? Is my dad, David Lee Roth? Like who, like the, it's such a wild question mark of who made me, you know, when you don't know. And then my brother is also adopted. My brother, I, I grew up with. And he's never wondered. He's never, <laughs> we are completely the spectrum of he's like, our parents are our parents. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I know. But 
somebody's out there. So I always had this fascination. It was something my my mom was very sensitive about. Um, you know, she would have had kids if she could was sort of the feeling. And and when it came up, she was a, a little, you know, no parent wants to feel like you wish there was some, <laughs> you're wondering about some other parent. But um, when I was like 18, I said, uh, mom, I, I want to know about my birth family. And she, she said to my surprise, she goes, Oh, hang on. And she left the room. And I was like, are they here? Like, what is, what is happening? And she, (laughs) she went and got this one page file. And that was the first time I had any information about my birth family. And it was just like birth mother, birth father, maternal grandparents. And it was just sort of height, weight, job. Um, my, maternal, I I think my biological mother, I think teacher, but I'm from a whole family of teachers and I, and I didn't want to teach. Like as I was raised, I was this whole family of teachers, but biologically they were also teachers. (laughs) So I was like, wow, this is really my, my legacy here. But, um, and then a few years later, I sent off to the adoption agency to get, um, you can, you could get files, you know, sort of pay some fee and get redacted files. And then I got pages of information and there were interviews with my um, birth mother. And that was amazing because that was sort of as transcribed by the social worker, that was sort of in her words of, it said several things that hit me. One was, something like I've always done what people told me to do and people, but people are telling me to not have this baby, but I believe this baby is really special and should be born. Like that was her attitude. (laughs) Like I read that in, which is really stunning. Um, My name when I was born was Ginger. (laughs) The I was with the social workers for a month. I had the flu or something as a baby, and they had interim named me Ginger. And that's a weird thing to find out in your 20s that like, oh, I kind of had this other name for a minute. And, and then it also said the biological father had zero interest, wanted me to be an abortion, which it's a stunning moment to see that word in reference to your existence was kind of a like, oh, I, I mean, I mean, fair, I, you know, I get it. You, he was not interested in being involved. So I became upset. I really wanted to know who was this woman I came out of because I just had to, is she like me? Am I like someone out there? And I also kind of couldn't wrap my mind around the concept. Like, is she just walking around? Like nothing happened. <laughs> like, do I run into her? Do we pass each other at the store? Is she a teacher at my school? Is it Sally Field? I mean, I love Smokey and the Bandit. Like, I didn't know. And so I was very curious. And in college, I actually was pretty sure I found her. So picture this. It's the early 90s and uh, Love Shack is in the air and on the airwaves and Madonna's expressed yourself. You can feel it. 
Roseanne is the number one show on TV. And uh, I'm a sophomore at the University of Texas in Austin, the Longhorns, I think. And we're, I'm walking, I'm 19, I'm a sophomore. I'm walking to my dorm in West Campus and I'm reading a story in the newspaper, a school paper. It caught my eye because it was about Roseanne. And the story said she had given up a baby for adoption 19 years before. And that the National Enquirer had found the girl, but they were not releasing the name until the girl actually got contacted. But what they did know was this. She's a sophomore at the University of Texas at Austin. She is 19 years old. I am all of these things. And she lives in a dorm in West Campus. I'm walking to my dorm in West Campus. Oh my God. Roseanne is my mom. Roseanne Barr is my mother. (laughs) Everything made sense for one goddamn second. I was like, I get, I want to be a comedian. I'm a smart, I'm like her. I love John Goodman. Like this totally. (laughs) Then I read the next sentence, which said the baby was from a Jewish adoption agency in Utah and I'm from Dallas. And I was like, so close. So that's a fun near, near hero succeeds almost moment. Um, to this day, I have never heard something that made more sense than what I, than what hit me in that exact moment. As a kid, I always wondered at 19, I thought I found her in my twenties. I got the nerve up to, to do a file, uh, you know, to, um, get, my file from the adoption agency, like they redact, you know, the doctor's last name or things that you could easily sort of, you know, this was pre-internet. So <laughs> things that you you could probably find people now, but th- they redacted some major facts. I, I was, there was a version of with closed adoptions of you kind of go all in. There's, there's uh what I was able to do in my, in my twenties is you can write a letter this is what they tell you. They go, there's an adoption registry, which is a weird name for it. It sounds like you, you're you going to get a blender or something, like a gift registry. But they're like, there's an adoption registry. You can write a letter to your birth mother. And if she also writes a letter, then you'll be paired. You know, oh, you want to find each other and you'll get these letters. And they make it sound like if she too wants to be a pen pal, then you'll you'll be connected. I found out later there's there's another truth to that. So I in my 20s I got this file. I was like I want to I want to connect with her and I wrote a letter and I was always kind of mentally writing letters to my biological mother that she would never get of you know like I made all A's and I want you to be pr-. I always wanted her to to know if I could tell her like thanks for giving birth to me. It couldn't it must have been so hard and like I'm making it count. I kind of always felt kind of a chip on my shoulder of like, look, somebody went to all the trouble of having me and giving me away. Like I should do something great. I wrote a letter to my biological mother for the adoption registry thinking, well, now I'll know if she wants to find me because I'll be contacted. 
and I wasn't contacted. And I took that to mean uh, she didn't want to find me. So it wasn't until then I just, you know, it was my 20s and I just went on to drink and do comedy and do television and do my life. And it wasn't until I kind of got some to a good place in my life in my 30s sober, had a career. I mean, this is really long story short, but like sober career, good relationship in my thirties. And I thought, you know what? I, I want to go all in. I want to do the, there's an option with the adoption agency to, to like, they track down the family and you have to have counseling and you have to talk to them and you have to fill out all these papers and pay a fee, et cetera. So I did it. I, like I was finally ready. And um, let me think of what I want to say here exactly. It it takes a lot to get to that moment of, you know what? I want to find her because one, I already thought she didn't want to find me because of the letter, uh, the adoption registry. So I finally went all in knowing, you know, I could be a month away from finding my birth mother. And after a, a month or six weeks or something, I followed up with the adoption agency and I said, you know, hey, did you find her? The woman on the other end of the phone said, oh, um, yes, we found her, but she hasn't responded. We are pretty sure that it's her, but because she didn't respond, we have to call off the search. So essentially you you dead end. You you can't find your birth mother. And then she was like, we can refund you half your fee. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, who, can, who can't use $150, I guess, but I, I really wanted to find the woman I came out of. Like, I don't really have the words to communicate. I had thought of this woman since I was eight. <laughs> you know, I knew I came out of someone and I always just wondered, who is she? Are our noses the same? Do we have the same eyes or the same laugh? Like I had, I had never met a biological re relative. You know, I always kind of felt like a, a weird, like, I don't know who, who I am or where I belong or, you know, of course I belonged with my family who raised me, but I always had this, I had this ache. I had an ache just to know, just to see a picture of this woman, just to know. And so essentially the door was closed and I was a little stunned at how kind of matter of fact, <laughs> to be honest, that was, that was relayed to me. And I actually told this to a friend and she was like, so you're talking to this woman who has your file right in front of her, right? Like she was possibly looking at that woman's address. Like she couldn't just give a hint or, a, you know, I'm not saying she lives at 462, <laughs> you know, but I, it was just door closed. And that was when I was in my thirties and I, I, I was, I was devastated because I felt like I had finally gotten ready and now um, I guess it's natural for an adopted kid to maybe have some abandonment issues. <laughs> so it, it, it hit me like that, like, oh, 
Then 23 and me came along <laughs> and it probably pops up in a lot of these stories. I, you know, I, there's been a surge of people finding family members and a friend of mine at work one day said, Oh, I got on 23 and me and I'm, you know, it turns out I'm 51% Dutch and you know, whatever. And I, I was like, I want to find out how much Dutch I am, but also maybe I can catfish my birth mother. <laughs> like I, I genuinely was somebody families are big. Somebody doesn't know there's, I just thought it's a ch- 23 and me is a chance to connect with some family member to connect to my birth mother. And so I did. And I feel like it sounds a little gross the way, <laughs> the way I put, like I was trying to trap or something, but I didn't want anything from her. I didn't think, you know, you owe me this. I didn't think she owed me anything. I felt if anything, I owed her a, a thank you and a, you know, a well-wishing. But I went in 23 and me and for, for like five years, nothing. <laughs> it's just so I was like, it's just dead end after dead end. Then one day uh, in 2018, I'm sitting in my apartment and I get a little email. You get these email notifications from 23andMe, like we found new relatives. And for years I was like, oh, it seems so exciting, but it's always a sixth cousin. It's always a completely useless, uh, like everybody's a sixth cousin really to everyone. But this was a message that said, hey, I just got my results and I think I'm your half brother. And I was speechless. I just turned my laptop to my fiance. And then he sort of teared up like, is this real? Is this happening? Well, my name's Jeremy. I say I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, but I was actually born in Dallas, but didn't live there very long. Then I lived up in Indianapolis, Indiana for a while. But by the time we hit third grade, we had moved to San Antonio. So for me, that's where I say I grew up because that's the most of what I remember of my childhood. So people ask where you're from. I say San Antonio because that's what I call home. So growing up, life was kind of tough. And I can understand looking back of why she put Laura up for adoption. Because when I was young, at about a year and a half, my mom, my, my father, finally, you know, it was drugs, hit my mom, whatever it is. They finally split up, and my mom and I became homeless, basically. And that's when we ended up, that was in Dallas. And that's when we ended up in Indianapolis, because we went into what's called a religious home that took us in, so we had pretty much shelter over our head. So that, that was some tough years for a couple of years. Then eventually, yeah, then eventually she finally started getting herself back together. And then she married my stepfather at the time, Ted. And that's where I had my stepbrother. And then they had a child together, and that was my half-brother, Josh. Stepbrother, he was he was about my age. I think we were both probably about the same year, same age. And my half-brother is about five years younger than me. So that's why I ended up growing up with my half-brother, because when I was first grade, they got divorced. So they weren't married that long, you know, what, three years, something like that. 
we stayed in Indianapolis because my mom had a job up there. Eventually, we ended up moving to San Antonio when I was in third grade. So that's that's where I got to San Antonio, Texas, and that's where I call it home because that was my most childhood memories were there, and that was with my half-brother and my mom. And she never remarried. I'm sure she dated or whatever, but so I always, it was always a single single mom home trying to raise the both of us. I know we struggled through life. Um, so that was kind of my childhood growing up. And then somewhere in there, we found out about, not about Laura personally, but that I had an older sister. I don't remember how it came about with my mom, but at some point along my childhood, teenage years, I did find out that she had put a child up for adoption that was about a year older than me. And I remember from that point on just thinking, you know, why? Was it a bad circumstance? What were the reasons? But I never really got into it with my mom, so I don't think we were that close to talk like that. And I didn't want her to feel bad about having to adopt somebody, keeping me, you know, so all that. So we never really spoke about it. And then as the years went on, I started thinking more about it and got more curious about it. And actually, I started looking for Laura. I finally questioned my mom a little bit, find out where the adoption took place. So I called the center up and had them send me a little bit of information. But as you know, they don't send out a lot of information for you to follow. So it just kind of, again, got put by the side. And and I couldn't figure out how to go about finding her at that point, because this was pre-internet, pre-all that, you know, how we could do it now. Hmm. So it was just kind of interesting on on that because it was, it was always in the back of my mind. I did. I was always in the back of my head, and a yearning would be a good good description. And then I ended up, as years went on, I, I my wife now, Kim, she ended up buying me for all things Father's Day. I've, I've, I've talked to her about it. She helped me look for Laura. We went again. We went to the agency. Couldn't find anything. My mom really didn't want to talk about it, and I thought it was because it was a bad experience because I had no idea. What, did she get raped? Did she do whatever? You know, I had no idea what the circumstances were or why she gave her child up for adoption. And I didn't want to make her feel bad by asking more questions and prodding and prodding, so I never really pushed it. Uh, but eventually, my wife bought me again for Father's Day to 23 and me. I think just for that reason, to see what, what comes up. I never grew up with my father, so having a yearning for family, I think, was was part of that. And then, lo and behold, Laura pops up. We were all just shocked that, that it just came up that easily, and, and there it is, and there's your half-sister you've been looking for and yearning for all this time. And I was, I was surprised. I was excited. I was surprised. I was nervous. Because uh, you never know. I didn't know, was she looking? Did she not want to be found? But I figured if she was on there, she must be looking. Does she know she has a half-brother? Is she, or is she just looking for her, her mom? You know, I all these questions just start flooding in your head. Because at this point, you don't even know if she knows she's adopted, right? Right, right. right. I, I don't know anything about her. Does she know she's adopted? Did the parents tell her she's adopted? And so, so at this point, I'm like, okay, I want to contact her. But first, I called my mom and I told her and she was kind of shocked. And again, I don't know the circumstances. So I I told my mom that I'm going to contact her and start talking to Laura. 
contact Laura and start talking to her just to give my mom a heads up in case she wants to be part of Laura's life or doesn't. Because, again, I don't know at that point. And she was all for it. She was had no issues with me contacting. She was she was kind of excited about it, too. And so I sent a message out on 23andMe to Laura. I think I was like, hello, my name's Jeremy. I, I think I'm your half-brother. I don't think she responded right away. Here's the weird thing about getting a message like that. There are, there's a whole spectrum of adoption stories. Like there are nightmare, I found my real father and it was a nightmare stories. A friend of mine has one of those. And this is the internet. You don't know. Like I did, this also sounds weird to say, but I approached this as I had done internet dating, (laughs) which is, I want this to be a great connection, but you might be crazy. You might think I'm crazy. You know, you really have to have so much careful trepidation. You don't, it's going to be a Pandora's box. Like once it's opened, who knows? So I, and I also didn't want to seem like, oh my God, who's my mother? (laughs) Like I, like that's kind of all I wanted to say. And I also didn't know how we were connected. Half brother. I didn't know. So I just wrote him back. Oh, <laughs> like I tried to keep it light and easy. Like, oh, how neat. <laughs> Would you like to talk? Like just say, I mean, what do you, what do you say? Where do you even, who do you even ask? How do you respond to that? So then I scrolled down and it said, we, we were in the same maternal haplo group. So we shared a mother. So this is the close, I was like 48. 48 years old, and I connect in a message with the closest I've ever come to finding my birth mother. So between me, this is probably the part of the story you want. <laughs> so this is probably where it gets the the most interesting. Uh, I'm sorry I had to give all that backstory. But so I proceeded to, t- we m- moved it into texting And we talked, and it turns out this is my half-brother, Jeremy. And I will burst into tears. He is my little brother. And I would never have guessed this, but I instantly felt like a big sister. In my family, I'm the youngest. I've never had a little uh, anything other than, you know, younger cousins. And I instantly felt like I loved him and I wanted to protect him. And he's very funny. And we were, as we were texting, I was like, oh, I feel I owe you so many Christmas presents and noogies. And he was like, I owe you so many begging you to take me to the mall with your friends. And I'm, I'm annoying, but it's really just because I look up to you. (laughs) And we just connected. Like even, I could be imagining this, but in my house where I grew up, like I would make a joke (laughs) and I love my family, but they would just like, what are you talking about? And we were, we just had banter. We just had this easy, I get that you're joking. You, you know, we're doing bits and we texted for hours (laughs) and days and we, we, I didn't 
I made a choice when I first got to know Jeremy of I because I still didn't know the story with the mother. It could be a good story. Like it could be, look, I'm super rich and powerful now and I don't want I don't want anyone to know I gave this baby away. Or it could be a sad story. Like we don't know the story. And during that time before she answered you, were you like checking her out on Facebook or social media? I was trying to find her and I, I, I don't remember finding anything on her because um, I didn't know much about her. I didn't know what to look up. And it's like, it's almost like, it's kind of weird, but almost like you're going on a date and you text them and you're waiting for them to respond. You're looking at your phone, looking away, looking at your phone, looking away and you're just waiting for that response to see, see what it is. And I think it's, it's, it's very, you're almost wondering, do they want to talk to me? Are they going to like me? Are they not going to like me? You know, or are, are we going to, what what kind of relationship are we going to have? So I was like, well, maybe she doesn't want to know. And finally, she responded, and it was it was positive. She responded. Eventually, we started texting. Eventually, we started talking on the phone, and just building a a, a brother sister relationship it was really cool. Because I've never had a sister, and to find out that she had been looking for all these years, wondering who her mother was, and not knowing about a half brother and it was just really, it was really surreal. It's really weird, but it's really cool. He, he said, but yes, we shared a mother and that's his mom. He, she had me and basically she went to another city to have me and then met his father there and then got pregnant and, and had him about a year later. So he's just like a year younger than me. And then there's also another son who's a few years younger than, than him. And they grew up together. They were raised together by, by her, by our birth mother. So it was different dads, but um, three kids. So I had been given up for adoption and then, then um, she had them and um so i had two little brothers <laughs> which was so two little half brothers which makes one whole brother just like in online dating i didn't want to come on too strong i didn't want to scare him off i didn't want to even in accidentally ask a question that looked like i was trying to find out you know what would a creep try to find out like do you have money where do you live <laughs> or you know or whatever so i I even tried to not, I just thought, you know what? I'm loving connecting with Jeremy. I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to press to meet the birth mother. I'm just, look, it's Jeremy. It's enough. I didn't even know I had a brother and it, it was a thrill. So we talk, we're messaging every day for a few days. Like it, it really, again, like it, it's not sexual at all, but it is a little like online dating. Like, oh, you're this neat connection and I can't get enough of you. When we were talking, we hadn't met each other. We had no idea what we looked like. Or, well, pictures, whatever. But I remember one time I was just trying to throw it out there. So I, I texted her, who we hadn't met yet, that I was black. Because I don't know how she grew up. I don't know what her her thoughts are on race. And there was no response. Because we'd been responding back and forth, like conversation. And there was no response. I was like, oh, crap, is she a racist? What's <laughs> going on? Is she upset that I'm black? And then he sent me this picture and I see that he's black. He's also showing me that our birth mother and that I looked a lot like her, which I do. 
And then my phone froze, which my phone never freezes. But essentially this guy I'm talking to, I love him. He's my little brother. We talk for three days. And then he, then he's like, sends me a picture where he's basically like, Hey, I'm, I'm black. And then, then it's like, he's just getting ghosted. (laughs) And I was horrified. And I was like, what? I'm turning it off. I'm trying to turn it back on. I'm like, does it need to be plugged in? And I, I was in a meeting at the time and I ran outside and I called him just to like, the texts were still freezing. And I called him and was just like, oh my God, I just want, I'm not racist. <laughs> I, like, I just want you to know, like, I, I, I got your picture. I, <laughs> I didn't know how to, you can't even say it without sounding like a weirdo. I think it's awesome. I, <laughs> you're great. And then he laughed and he said this, he said, wow. So this is what you sound like. He had known he had a sister out there somewhere, but he didn't know anything about her. And so we both kind of, we had just been messaging and we both had this moment of just because I panicked and called him, we're talking for the first time. Don, I had never, I'd never been in the same room with anyone I shared DNA with. And this is the first, like my voice is connecting with a voice I shared DNA with. And even that was really profound for me. And and the way we met was kind of kind of coincidental, I'll say. Um, she was it wasn't that long after we were talking. I can't exactly remember how long, but she was coming to Orlando for a show to Florida. I'm like, she's coming to Florida. I gotta go up and meet her. This was I connected with him in a July, and in August I was booked to do stand up in the state where he lives. <laughs> and so I said to him, look, Hey, I know this is too soon. Again, it's like internet dating. It's too soon for us to meet, but I'm going to be in your state in a month if you want to. And he was like, we'll be there. I'll bring the whole family. We'll be there. I want to meet you. I think I was more hesitant than my wife was. My wife was like, yeah, you need to meet her. You need to go. We need to go to Orlando and she's going to be here. And I'm like, what if she doesn't like me? What if we don't get along? You know, just all those self-inflicting feelings you put on yourself of your worries and and she's like you know what i'm here and you know if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but you we we should do this so so we went up there and did it so i went in to do this comedy show and again it it, you know we just made a lunch date we don't know we don't know if it's going to be weird or horrible or you know bad vibes or whatever and so we just there was this weekend i did the show and then i i booked a hotel to stay a couple extra nights just to like in case we hit it off or something (laughs) and we went to lunch and i just loved him i just loved him and his family is beautiful and they're hilarious and they're great and we had this weekend of we went to lunch and then we were like again i i can't this it's so much like internet dating it was like lunch good oh great thank you like i want to spend more time with you but i don't want to come on too strong and be a giant weirdo and then we finally met and we took the family took my wife and kids because i was excited i wanted to meet her and we really got along. It was really neat. It's like we, it was almost like we grew up together the way we talked. We truly were like brother and sister that had grown up. And and that, that was really good. It really made us smile. So I went back to hotel rooms. And then like an hour or two later, I was like, do you 
want to go get ice cream or something? And then we went and got ice cream and I bought my little brother ice cream, which felt like a dream come true. And then it was like, oh, this was great. And then he was like, do you, we're going to dinner later. Do you want to go to dinner? And then we went to dinner and then it was like, we're just going to play cards and hang out later if you, okay. And then I'm playing cards with them and hanging out. And then it was goodbye. And then in the morning I was like, have you left yet? Do you want to get breakfast? And then we had like a three hour breakfast. We met for breakfast the next day. So it must've been okay. must've been good. And, And we've continued talking. So I met him. So I know him like, you know, like half hour. I know just a little bit. And he goes, I was always afraid I would accidentally have sex with you. (laughs) And I've never had a little brother, so I was like, is that just how guys think? Like, I I was like, oh, that's weird. I met my other younger brother, Josh, and I know him like, like five minutes, like very early in the conversation, he said, I was always afraid I would accidentally have sex with you. (laughs) And I was like, these... Poor guys have been haunted their entire life. What a method of birth control. Like, just like even non-adoptees can do that. Hey, by the way, there's somebody out there you shouldn't have sex with. Anyway, enjoy high school. And I oddly had stand-up booked in two other states, one where my other little brother lived and I got to meet him, and then one where my biological family lived and then I... I met them. So in th- so it was nothing for 48 years. And then in three months, I met the entire family in person, including my biological grandmother, who was 100 years old. She's since she's she's since passed. But that was I got to I got to know her. I had a phone call with my 100 year old grandmother, which was stunning. Like the last time we had met, there were there were no cell phones <laughs> or DNA testing. Like a lot had to happen for us to come together. But she she had called me and said, look, I, I'm 100. I don't wait for things. I'd like to meet you. I'll even buy a plane ticket for you and your fiancé to come visit. But we already had tickets to go, so we just used those. But she said, she said this, Don, she said, I got to hold you one time and I kissed you and I prayed that you found a good family and had a good life. And she said, I I say a prayer for you every year on your birthday. I've always thought of you. And she said, you are my firstborn grandchild. Everyone calls me Bama. And if you want, you can call me Bama. Don, she started sending me checks for $25 at Christmas, just like (laughs) at my birthday, just like a grandma does. Yeah, same. I mean, it's just been about five years and I'm, I'm not over it. I, we went to her funeral. She passed away during the COVID, uh, lockdown. Uh, era and we we were there and um, yeah I was really embraced by this family it was after about a week of messaging with Jeremy and I I had accepted you know what I I still may never meet her I don't want to pry like their business is their business 
And it was after about a week, Jeremy texted and he said, I have a surprise for you. And I was like, I was working in a, a library in Los Angeles. I was writing in a library. And he said, I have a surprise for you. And then he texted me a phone number. And he said, that's mom's number. She's looking forward to talking to you. I've never cried so much. <laughs> I mean, I maybe I've cried, but it was such a specific kind of like a cry of joy and release and surprise. And there's a certain amount of grief of here's someone I, all the years we haven't known each other and maybe we could, there's just a whole mix of, I mean, I had to leave the library obviously. And I went home and it was, it was a while before I, I could even call like I, I ha it's very confrontive and I don't know how to describe it doesn't logically make sense oh I've wanted to know her my whole life but then it was still hard to call but it is it's hugely emotional and I called I got a voicemail <laughs> and because of my history of I don't know if she wants to know me based on the information that I had. I didn't know if that would maybe be it. You know, I don't know if it's just a voicemail. I don't know if it's one conversation and done. I don't know any of it. Like I'm a little on eggshells with it. So I thought if I only get this one voicemail, what do I want to say to her? And I just left a message saying, I just want to say thank you. Just thank you. That must have been so hard. And I just really appreciate it. And hopefully we can talk and this is my number. <laughs> How do you even sign up? Anyway, I came out of you. Bye. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, I was, I was presented with all these scenarios that you have no idea exactly what to say, but she called back and we talked and she was thrilled. She said, I always wondered if I had done the right thing. She was like, I was afraid you would be mad at me or something. And I had asked her why she didn't respond to the registry or when the adoption people reached out to her and she just said, you know what? We're together now. That's all that matters. And I, I found a couple of different, I ended up asking a couple of different times. And, and to be honest, she always was just like, you know what? We found each other now. And so that's her business, <laughs> you know, why she didn't respond. But I, I, I got the feeling Jeremy had kind of vetted me, <laughs> you know, which makes sense. Again, like I said, it's the internet. You don't know, like they don't know, they don't know if I'm, if I have a grudge or I'm mad or I want something or I think you owe, like you don't know. And so, I, you know, that might've been her resistance in, in there. But um, yeah, their attitude, even I was 48 years old and they said to me, they were like, the baby's back. Oh, I'm, I'm so ecstatic. I'm so grateful my wife gave me that. I'm ecstatic. We found her. It's all worked out. She's been out there. She's met her mom. She's met her family. 
And one of the coolest things when Laura and I were talking after she met the family, she told me, you know, because Laura's a comedian, as you know, you know, I would I would save some kind of joke sitting around the dinner table with my family and they would just look at me. They wouldn't laugh. And she said she just felt out of place around that because of because of that. But when she met us and she would tell a joke, we wouldn't just laugh. We'd go along with it and expand it. <laughs> and so she was like, you know, I, I got there and I, I felt like I fit in right away. And that was that was really cool. I gave her a hug and I met my birth mother and, and I, I gave her a hug and she like held me and, and rocked me and you know it was amazing when we'd been talking on the phone she was like oh my god we're just so excited that Jeremy found the baby and I'm like this 47 year old baby the baby's back yeah and I, I, I hugged her and then she took a step back and she looked at me and she said you've grown <laughs> You guys enjoy the rest of the show. I want to thank Laura and her little brother Jeremy for sharing their story with us. The name of her podcast is Tiny Victories, available wherever you find podcasts. She also started a sober comedy show here in LA called Party On. It's the first Saturday of every month. Where does she get all of this energy? All of this info and more can be found on our website, laurahouse.com. I'll put all this in the show notes. All the comedy on today's episode, except for the Roseanne Arnold story, was recorded at Brian McDaniel's Adoption Comedy Show. To follow him, go to the initials B as in boy, M as in Mary, C, D as in dog on Instagram. B-M-C-D on Instagram. I'll put a link in the show notes. And the Roseanne bit was taken from the podcast called Risk with an exclamation point at the end. R-I-S-K exclamation point. Hosted by Kevin Allison. It's a podcast where people tell true stories boldly. Link in the show notes. Please take a moment to like, review, and follow this podcast. And if you want to get in touch with me, NPE underscore stories underscore podcast on Instagram. Or you can email me at Don. N-P-E at iCloud.com. All the music on today's episode was provided by the great Billy Sullivan, composer, studio owner, and all-around great guy. To find out more about his music, go to SullyStone.com. Missing Pieces was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Don Anderson. Thanks for listening.